0: Good morning, everybody. God bless you. Glad you're here. Um, I, you know, when I first got saved, uh, and this was in 1970 before many of you were, were born, uh, I came out of that uh, hippie drug culture, and uh, I was bound. I was in deep, deep, dark bondage uh, with everything that Nina said and all that goes with it. But when I got saved... Um one of my favorite passages of scripture, it was like, okay, I believe God, um, and I know that I'm saved, but I was just curious, how is all of this, how's it coming down? How is all of this going to end? And uh, the Lord uh, led me to Matthew chapter 24, and I camped in that passage of scripture, it just seemed like forever, and it's like the more I read it, the more confused I got, because if you read uh, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, they seem to be saying the same thing, and uh, but they're not. And so uh, I, I want to, uh, I found a little video on YouTube last night that kind of talks about the rapture. It's, you know, it's hard to do a, a video about the rapture. It's kind of like John writing the book of Revelation, trying to explain things that you've never seen, and he's never seen, and trying to tell you, you know, what it looks like, you know, what these things look like and seem like, and so um, if you've never seen a rapture before, then how do you explain it? But uh, these guys did okay, so we're going to watch just a quick little video, and then we'll be in Matthew chapter 24 primarily, and Luke 21, and then uh, a couple of other scriptures that I'll, I'll uh, share with you as well. We also have communion today, so... Uh, Sit tight. You know, if you uh, you know you showed up on a good Sunday, because i want to just tell you that if you came, you know, of course every Sunday is a good Sunday, isn't it? Uh, but you know, I you know some some of you you know came in on the mountaintop experience. You're you know just like at the best place you could possibly be with the Lord, and some of you are like Jonah. Uh, you're at the depths of the sea, uh, the lowest point of the sea, and you know he was upset and he was. Uh, disappointed, frustrated, um, he was angry with God, how could this happen to me, why would you do this to me kind of a thing, but uh, I've, I've learned in those situations, just my own personal life, that, you know, when life takes a downhill turn and you're on the skids, uh, and you find yourself at the, at the rock bottom, the question to God should not be, why is this happening to me, but Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? So let's watch the guys who killed the lights and, and let's watch this video and we'll get back into Matthew 24.
1: You're reading that book again. Is all you ever do is read that book? Is there anything you do besides read that book? Hey. What if that guy was right? What do you mean he was right? I
0: mean, what if it didn't happen on May 21st, but what if it did happen? You know that rapture thing he was talking about?
1: Yeah, you mean that fanatical guy out there saying that everybody's gonna get caught away and fly off? Yeah, but, you know, what if it was true? What, what would happen? That rapture, rapture, when we'll get caught away, Whee! That stuff's a bunch of fantasy. Jack, I really wish you would take me seriously. Come on, why would Jesus lie about these things? I don't know. I'm in the middle of reading my hunting magazine. Can we talk about this later?
2: All right, well, I'm going to church. I'll see you later.
1: home Nick Jim Jimmy I called every place I could think of and she's nowhere to be found. I've called my friends The neighbor said they were out front all morning long and they were looking and uh, She was nowhere to be found and she didn't leave the home. So that's really scaring me. I don't know what's going on. What? You have calls all over town about the same thing? Wait, Wait, this is this is getting crazy. Are you telling me that people are disappearing everywhere? You're a, what? You're a temporary operator? The 911 lady's gone? They found her clothes sitting there on the board. She disappeared?
2: Okay. Oh my God. Have you seen Jill? No, have you seen my daughter?
1: Your daughter's missing too? Yeah. I found her clothes sitting in the chair like she was making breakfast and eating or something and the stove was still burning and I'm looking all over and the neighbor's not home and look. The kids' clothes are still on the driveway with the skates. Nick would never leave the skates out like that. And and his clothes are, at, Nick's clothes are at the door. I have not seen her either. She didn't come over here. Hello? Yeah, Cheryl, how you doing? Hey, hey, is Jill over there with you? What do you mean she, she, you haven't seen her all day? Gosh darn it. What? No. Are you telling me he's not home either? Well, They didn't run off together or something, did they? No, what? You're kidding me. You found his clothes laid in the front yard? Okay, okay. Hey, is Pastor Earl? Yeah, this is, you know, uh, Jill's husband. Yeah, 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 I know I didn't show up for Easter. I understand that. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry about that. I'll, I'll be there next year. But have you seen Jill? What, you're not having a service today? What do you mean the church is gone? You mean that rapture thing was true? Then why are you still here?
0: I got go. You guys catch that last part? A guy passed away on the day of the filming. So, hey, I didn't like that part about the pastor, though, answering the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm doing my best. All right, why don't you join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you for your word. And um, God, we invite your Holy Spirit's presence this morning, Lord. We know that uh, sometimes passages are difficult, hard to understand. But we pray that you give us an ear to hear and an understanding heart this morning as we look into your word. Look at the words that your son Jesus spoke and that your Holy Spirit had written for our behalf, Lord God. So we don't want to just be readers of the word or hearers of your word, Father, but we want to be doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're going to uh, start in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Uh, The parallel scripture of this is uh, Luke chapter 21. If you've got your Bible, uh, you can flip back and forth. Just mark those two places. And we begin with this, it says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and I just might just remind you that this is very close to the end of the 28 chapters in, in Matthew and uh, 25, uh, Matthew 25 talks about parables that go along with this passage of scripture that correlate, he's just giving, he tells tells the story here of what's going to happen, and then he uses the parable illustration of the ten virgins, uh, you know, uh, waiting for the Lord, five were ready, five weren't. And then he talks about separating the goats from the sheep in Matthew chapter 25. And so um, uh, those are just, uh, you know, parable illustrations of what he's talking about here. And uh, so near the very near of, uh, end of his life, and you know, one of the things that I've noticed, if you look at God's word, that one of the questions that the disciples continued to ask about, it was not only not only on my mind and my heart, as I said earlier, but they continued to come back and ask Jesus this same question. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when is the kingdom going to come? When, you know, Lord, are you going to establish this thousand-year reign? And um, their hearts and their minds were consumed about it. You know, you remember that... Uh, they knew that it was going to happen. They just didn't know when it was going to happen. Uh, remember that John uh, and James, his mother, came to Jesus and said, I, I've got a request. I want to ask you that when you do come into your kingdom, would you grant one of my sons the, a right to sit on your right hand and one to sit on your left hand? And so, you know, I mean, the Jewish nation was thinking about it. And then uh, they come out of the temple here. They ask the question, um, prior to his death and burial and resurrection, and then Acts chapter 1, after the resurrection, some 50 days after the resurrection, he tells the disciples to go up to Jerusalem and wait until they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, then they start all over again. Lord, is it then that you're going to establish this kingdom? When are you going to establish the kingdom? And so it was constantly on their mind. And so we pick up here, his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to you, said to them, do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall left, be left uh, here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, that not, might not sound really important to you. I mean, if you think about the way that we build today with little bricks and you know, or large adobes. But uh, if you've ever been to Israel and you go to the western wall and some of the, uh, the, uh, the stones for the temple there, are, I mean, some of these stones weigh forty tons each, and they are stacked so tight on top of each other that they didn't need mortar. You can, you cannot slide a piece of paper between these stones. They fit together so tight. And it's a marvel how it's done, and people, architects and and builders today alike, you know, all wonder, how are, you know, a a generation of people like that able to move these incredible stones and and build this, you know, it was one of the uh, seven wonders of the world at that time, and probably if it existed today, it still would be. Um, So, they're asking him, uh, you know, these questions. He says, I say to you, not one stone will be left on another. Uh, that shall not be thrown down, and so they want to know about the signs of his coming and the end of the age. And now, as he and his uh, as he said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age." And so, if you look at this chapter and then look at Luke chapter twenty-one, they asked between the two chapters they kind of run parallel. And like I said earlier, they seem like they're saying the same thing. Uh, But Matthew kind of comes at it from one angle. Luke comes at it from a different angle. And so between them, between the two chapters, they read or they ask four questions. Number one, when will the temple be destroyed? And what signs point to its destruction? That's in Luke chapter 21. What are the signs of Christ coming in his kingdom? What will be the signs that the age of the Gentile is coming to an end? And then what are not signs uh, that the end is near? Uh, Now, they were thinking that the next time that they saw Jesus would be at the second coming. They didn't know about the rapture at this point. At this point in time, they didn't know about a rapture. Um, They learned about it later on. But at this point when they're asking this, and at at the time that they're asking this, they're talking about two different prophetic events. One that was in the near future, and one was in a distant future. When we look at this today, we're looking at one of these events as a historical event that took place, the destruction of the temple, uh, which happened about 70 A.D. I'll cover that in just a little bit, uh, in just a moment. And then we're looking at this forthcoming event, the uh, rapture of the coming of Jesus in the clouds to gather the body of believers. And so... When Jesus begins to answer the questions he doesn't ask them in the order that they ask him he answers the questions in a reverse order and Luke seems to focus on primarily on the destruction of the temple and then he kind of like that kind of you know is his main goal and and uh, you know uh, answering the questions to the, uh, that the disciples ask. and uh, Matthew takes a totally different approach Um he starts with where they were there and continues this timeline, a chronological timeline uh, to where we're going to the end of the age. And so he begins by saying that many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and you will be deceived by many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, And kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. These are all the beginning of birth pains. And then, notice this verse right here. Now, you can just underline this in your Bible, because this is where, you know, Luke and Matthew transition. And it says, then, he's just following in this train of thought that he's just, you know, uh, been speaking about. Um, He says, and then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, at that point, now listen to what Luke says. says in Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 10, he says that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places. Sounds almost exactly the same, doesn't it? Sounds almost. He's saying almost word for word exactly the same thing. Um, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now listen to verse 12. But before this, now Matthew says, then the next thing that's going to happen is this, and I'll come back to that. And Luke says the same thing, but he says, before this they will seize you and persecute you, and they will hand you over to the synagogues and put you to prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. Now we see this as we start reading the book of Acts we see this passage of scripture start to unfold. They were immediately persecuted by the religious leaders in Acts. Uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the rulers of, of uh, both Rome and uh, the Israeli uh, Jewish rulers at the time began to persecute them. Remember that Peter and, and uh, James and John were thrown into jail because they were preaching the gospel. Um, James, the brother of John, was beheaded. He was brought before Herod. He was beheaded. Uh, Herod saw that because it pleased uh, the Jews that he sought to behead uh, Peter as well. And so he has him arrested. And then this miraculous thing happens. And uh, uh, they, um, you know, the prison doors open. The angel of the Lord sets him free. Um, they were thrown out of synagogues. The apostle Paul comes on the scene. Um, he too is thrown into jail a great earthquake that night. Remember that's what he says that you're going to see all of these things. Um, Agabus the prophet talked about a in the book of Acts about a great famine that was uh, that was coming upon the land and so um, so Luke goes back and starts covering that. He said before these things, these are the things that you're going to see. And so that's uh, uh, after answering the third question, Matthew kind of goes um, forward in time, like I said, in a a time-like chronological order. And Luke, you know, starts there, and then he backs up, and then he starts to talk about the temple destruction. And we read here in Luke chapter 21, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, um, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in in, in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those that are in the midst of the city must not leave those and those who are in this country must not enter the city that's from Luke chapter 21:20 20. now we know that in Matthew excuse me in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back and there's a there's a passage in there that talks about when the when the armies of the world surround Jerusalem you know you know that the end is near so these two both of these are they're, say, they're saying the same thing using the different i mean saying the same thing but they're talking about two different events Luke is talking about the, uh, the destruction of the temple, and Jesus, or Matthew's talking about Jesus returning and, um, uh, at, the, at the end of the age. Um, and uh, just a comment on this, uh, uh, seeing the armies of the, and, it, and this almost sounds like if you think about it, you're reading this, uh, this passage of Scripture that Jesus is saying, that when you see the armies of the, of the world Jerusalem surrounded by, by these armies, he says, then, you know, flee to the mountains, get out of the city. But, you know, if you saw the army show up and you're inside the, the fenced-in wall of the, of the gates, it's like, you know, you're probably thinking, Lord, why didn't you give me a better, you know, sign than this? It's almost too late. It's almost like it's too late. I'm already in the city I've just got through reading this verse, and I look outside, and I see that the Roman armies have surrounded the city. They've sieged the city. So, I mean, what point is a prophecy like that? Well, knowing not without us knowing Jewish history and what happened, and you can read this. uh, Josephus um, wrote a book. uh, 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 He was a Jewish historian. He wrote in his uh, chronicles. um, It's called the War of the Jews. And he says, and this is what happened. We know that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. But what we don't know, and we come to find out, that in A.D. 66, a Roman general by the name of Cestus Gallus was sent to put down the Jewish rebellion. The Jews had revolted. They had locked themselves in the city. And uh, they were just going to stay there uh, until this thing was over, until they could come back under their own government. That You remember Uh, They hated the Romans. They didn't even want to use Roman money in the temple. Uh, That's why they had the money changers there. You had to take your Roman money, which is the currency of the day, get it exchanged into temple money before you could even come in. And then that's when Jesus begins to flip over the tables and talks about, you know, you made my father's house a a den of uh, thieves thieves and robbers. And he, uh, you know, he says it's supposed to be called a, a, a house of prayer. But... In 66 uh, AD, uh, Cestus Gallus comes in and lays siege to, the, siege to the city. And he was there for two years, but during the two years that he was there, this Jewish group that brought this revolt uh, began to t- attack his supply lines. And so he had to leave the city, abandon the siege that he had in place. He had to leave the city and take his army with him, And to stop this revolt and stop these Jews from attacking the supply line. So, there's a a break in the action. If you were not a believer in Jesus at that time, you know, what would you think? You would think, hey, we held out, uh, he left, he lost, we won. But if you were a believer in Christ, you would go back to that scripture where Jesus said, you know, when you see Rome lay siege to the city, or the armies of the world come and and siege the city. Those that are on the housetop, get out and leave. Don't go back and take anything out of your house. Those that are in the country, you know, go just leave. Leave as quick as you can. If you were a believer in Jesus and you remembered and you were obedient to the word of God, that's what you would do. You would get out of the city as fast as you could because shortly thereafter, this guy uh, Gallus was killed in battle and the, uh, the Roman government sent a general by the name of Titus, and he did lay siege to the city again. And the, the city, um, what he would do is uh, he would not let anybody out of the city, but if you were going into the city to the temple, say like the, the Passover was the greatest uh, uh, feast day in, in the, on the Jewish calendar, and people from all over would come in, He would let them go in with the promise of letting them come out, but he lied. And he did that for a couple of years in a row. Meanwhile, the city just barely has enough food to survive. Adding all of these other hundreds and thousands of people to the city uh, completely diminished and depleted the uh, food source that was inside. And in 70 AD, uh, he destroyed the city, burned the temple, and... uh, that temple has not been built. And Jesus said, that's what he said in the beginning of this, you look at this temple, the disciples were saying, you see how beautiful it is? He says, I'm telling you, there's a time coming that not one stone will be left on another. I mean, today, today, if you were, you know, or, or let's say, um, how far removed are we? Fifteen years removed from uh, the uh, uh, terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. It would be just like you walking with your friend, a friend of yours, walking down New York and saying, look, I mean, two of the most beautiful buildings in the world, but I'm going to tell you what, you know, in another week or another month or another year, there won't be one stone left on another. That thing will be leveled to the ground. And what would you think? You would think, man, you're nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. That's kind of the way that a lot of people felt about what Jesus was saying. And so then we see in Matthew's gospel he switches to the Great Tribulation. There have been lots of tribulations before, but there's only one phrase in the Bible that's called the Great Tribulation. And therefore, he goes back and uh, he's quoting from Daniel. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand. Then let those that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down, take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And woe to those that are pregnant, to those that are nursing babies in those days. Um and pray that your flight not be, might not be on in the winter or on the Sabbath day. I mean, if you're living in Jerusalem, I've been there a number of times. I mean, on the Sabbath day, the elevator, just so no one has to work uh, in the city or in a hotel, the elevators are pre-programmed. Typically, you would go in, there would be an operator in the elevator. You'd say, I want to go to the fifth floor, the seventh floor, the tenth floor. On the Sabbath day, the elevators are programmed to stop on every floor so you can get on or off, so you don't have to work. Remember, they've taken this to the extreme, you know, the, and that's what Jesus was saying, you know, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel, but they've taken this to the extreme where, you know, even even pushing the button on the elevator, the religious leaders thought and th- today that that is work. And so, It's programmed. So imagine being there and this being on the Sabbath day where everything is shut down and you are reading these words of Jesus and you're seeing this abomination of desolation take place in the temple and you're thinking, I have got to get out of town. Well, how are you going to get out of town? Nobody's driving because that's against the law. There's no buses. There's no taxis. You better hope there's an Arab around because they don't believe in it and uh, they give you a ride out of town and give you a safe place. So... uh, but, though, but woe to those that are pregnant and those that are nursing babies. Pray that your flight not be in on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. He calls this great tribulation such, and remember what Jesus says in this world, you're going to have, we're all going to have tribulation. All of us are going to go through a difficult points or parts in life. But he calls this the great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world and uh, to this time, no nor shall ever be. And so many people, when they read these two passages of Scripture, they think that that the destruction of the temple was the great tribulation. Well, if that was the case, then this Scripture could not be true today because that means that since the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., there could be nothing greater in Jewish history than that tribulation that happened on that day. Josephus records that there was 1,100,000 people in the city when Titus destroyed it. But we know that just less than you know 70 years ago, almost 80 years ago, that there were over 6 million people, 6 million Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. That is a greater tribulation than happened in 70 AD. And so I want to just jump over to... Uh, Daniel, real quick, and so we can cover this part about the, the great tribulation. He says, 70 seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for the wickedness, and to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, to anoint the most holy plight. Okay? So we know um, seventy sevens is a, if you multiply 70 times sevens, he's talking about 490 years. And then he gives a breakdown. He has a start point, and he has a middle point, and he has an ending point, but there's one point that he doesn't cover, and I will try to cover that here with you just now. It says, no one understands that from the time that the word, remember, Daniel was in captivity because of all of the sin, all of their violations, we talked about this, about breaking the Sabbath, about not uh, keeping the, uh, um, the, um, uh, the, uh, the year of Jubilee, uh, all of those things contributed to the amount of time that they were going to spend, spend in captivity. But he says that from the time that the word goes out, listen to this, from the time that the word goes out, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, that's talking about Jesus, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, all right? And so uh, this and this is the way that, that he breaks it down. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench in times of trouble. And after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. And so we know that from the time that the, the decree went out, and the decree was given, uh, and you can read this in, in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, that the, that, that the letter, Nehemiah took a letter from the king saying, we can start to rebuild the wall, and we can start to be, rebuild the temple. And so that was seven sevens, um, and then 62 sevens, and that all totals up to um, 483 years. And so we're at, at, the, at 483 years, at the end of 483 years after the commandment was given, and we're still one seven short for the, for the, uh, to make it 490. 400, excuse me, 483 years plus seven makes it 490. All right, and that's what he says. Seven seventies. Seven seventies is 490 years. He says, and then the anointed one will be cut, will be cut off so we're missing this one week, and it's almost like on God's calendar, you know, at the, end of that, at the end of that 483 years, Jesus is crucified, he is placed in a tomb, he is resurrected, the word of God is going out to all of the world, not to just the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well, and this is, uh, uh, the, the scripture talks about this until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, that they would have control over Jerusalem. And from the time the destruction of the city, uh, I mean, think about it. For 2,000 years, the Jews have not been able to offer a sacrifice. They don't have a temple. They're not offer, able to offer a sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. But there's going to come a time, and we'll read this here uh, in just a moment. It says, the people, he says, the people of the ruler who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. And war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. And he, okay, now who are we talking about? He, this one world leader, I mean, if you don't understand this, now you can see this in, in government today, in worldwide government today. You know, the answer is, for many of those that are in, in politicians today, as much as we dislike them, um, we are moving toward a one-world government and a one-world religion and a one-world uh, currency. That's what we're moving toward. And so, when I read Matthew twenty-four, I'm just my mind is just like God. There's just so much here that I want to know and understand, but. There's going to be a man that comes on the scene. I mean, for tw- uh, 2,000 years, the Jews have had it since the destruction of the temple. They have been displaced. They've been thrown out of the land. It was in 1948 that they were declared a nation again, and they were able to come back to the land. And so while they occupy the land, they still don't have a place. The Mosque of Omar is sitting on the place on the Temple Mount site, and it's such a, I mean, a... Uh, 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 Powder keg that when the their their president Netanyahu wants to walk up to the Temple Wall, that the Arabs are in such an uproar that they want to start a war over it. I mean, it is a very sacred place to both to the Jews and to the Arabs. But someone's going to come along and and have you know just this brilliant idea of putting putting everything back together. We're going to make peace with the Arabs. We're going to make peace with. Uh, with the Jews, and, and everybody's going to be at peace. And I'm going to pick this up. I'm not going to go too much into that because the next time I share with you all, I'll share uh, You know, just one more step further into uh, this seven-year period. But just for right now, he, talking about this one world r- ruler that the Bible calls the Antichrist, he will confirm a covenant with many, and that would be, The people, the Jewish people, he would confirm a covenant with them for one seven. This is that missing week, that last week. Remember, we're at 483, but we were one week short of the 90, uh, of 490. And he says that he, this guy is going to be a world leader. He's going to come in. He's going to be called a man of peace. And he's going to establish this covenant. Uh, It says, and in the middle of the seven in the middle of this seven year covenant they're going to be able to Jews are going to be able to build their temple they're going to be able to have the sacrifices that they want to have today today that they'd like to have today but it says in the middle after in the middle of that that period that that seven year period which is three and a half years and the bible says uses this language over and over again he says you know the seven year period or two three and a half year periods or he breaks it down into days. And so, so many days in that three and a half period. So when you read that, you know what he's talking about. So we have a starting point for this: the beginning of this seventh year is when someone comes on this world scene, this is after the rapture, you and I are not going to be a part of this, this is at least what I believe. And let me just say that... There are three different views, actually four different views. I'm going to give you the three primary views on this. There are those that believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation period. And I have some other scripture. I'll show you why I believe that. Uh, There are those that believe that it's called a mid-trib tribulation. And that's when things really get bad. In the middle of this tribulation period, then the church will be raptured. And there are some that believe that the church won't be raptured at all until Jesus comes back in, in Revelation chapter 19 and destroys all of the unbelievers at that time, all of the, the Satan, uh, the, uh, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. All of uh, the two of them will be, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan will be uh, held in bondage for a thousand years during the thousand year reign. But it says that in the middle of this three and a half year period, this man is going to be required, he's going to require the world to worship him and him only. Now, you've probably heard this expression that uh, Satan doesn't care who you worship as long as it's not. Jesus Christ. How many of you have heard that? Yeah, all of us have. Probably heard that. He didn't care if you worship this idol or that idol. You can worship anybody you want to except for Jesus. That's where he draws the line. But in the middle of the tribulation period, uh, that's not the case. Nobody, you can't worship anybody. You cannot worship anybody but him. And that's why Babylon the Great, who is called the the great harlot, the the mother of all false religions is actually destroyed because, you know, uh, people were following her and worshiping her and, uh, and Satan is saying, hey, I, everybody's going to worship me. So he enters into the temple and he sets up an abomination that causes desolation. This is what Jesus said. When you see the abomination of desolation, it's the only two places that it's spoken of in the Bible. It's only spoken of in Daniel and it's spoken of uh, by Jesus. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, uh, he says, then you need to flee. If you're in the city, get out of the city. If You know, you get out from those walls. If you're on your, in your house, get out. Go. Get away. Get away from this. Because a time of great, great tribulation is coming. I don't want to go into that at this point, but I'll, I'll go into it next time. And then he says immediately picking up back in Matthew again, leaving Daniel, coming back to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun and the moon uh, will be darkened, or the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the power of heavens will be shaken, and then the Son of Man will appear in the heavens, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see um, the Son of Man coming on clouds of uh, heaven, with power and great glory, you know you can go back to the book of Zechariah, and I think, uh, man, it's been a while since I've been there, but I believe it's in chapter twelve. Anybody with me? Is it in chapter twelve? So you guys, okay, you don't know, so it's in chapter twelve, uh, it, it says that. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it's in chapter 12. It says, they will look, they're, they're surrounded, Jerusalem is surrounded by all the armies of the world, and it says, then they will look, and they will see the one that they have pierced, and they will see the piercing in his hands. and it says, and then they will weep for him like one weeps for his only son. And it's just a, like all of a sudden... The word of God says, how can a nation be saved in a day? But when they look on him and they see that they're about to be completely destroyed and Jesus comes and it says with the sword of his mouth, he destroys all of them that they recognize that the one that they have rejected for thousands of years really was the Messiah. And then then in Matthew's gospel, Matthew goes back and uh, he says, okay... You know, I've covered that. I've covered from beginning to the end, but I've left out something in the middle that I want you to hear because he hasn't really talked about the rapture. And it says, But that day and that hour, uh, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, but as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know that until the flood came and took them away, so will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. That's what the video was that we were watching. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have, not, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. So, And I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, why did he use Noah? I mean, why would, I mean, there are a lot of other people. He could have used you know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, how God goes in, sends his angels in uh, gets Lot, and his wife, and his two daughters. He saves the righteous and brings judgment upon the wicked. And, uh, but listen to this. It says, And God said to, to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them uh, with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, and make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. All right, here's where this gets really interesting. The Hebrew word for pitch is kafar, K-A-W-F-A-R. And it means it's the same word that's used for atonement. To cover, to purge, to make an atonement, to make reconciliation, to cover over with atonement. Isn't that what's, what's happened to us? And so the ark is a shadow or type of Christ. And Noah and his believing family all entered the ark on the same day, riding on the waters safe, the waters of judgment that have come to destroy the world. But they are riding in this ark, this type of Jesus, safe from the tribulation, safe from the wrath of God. And this is kind of interesting right here. It says that um, they are in the ark. Listen. They didn't know. He's working on the ark for 100 years. It takes him 100 years to build the ark. And so God begins to tell him, I want you to you know, get the, open the door, get the animals, let the animals come in. And so the animals begin to come in. And God tells Noah, he says, go into the ark. Just one day, it's just like every day, I'm, we're working on the ark, we're gathering the animals, and you know, God speaks to Noah, and he says, Noah, I want you and your family to go in the ark. And they go in the ark, and God closes the door. You know how long they sat in the ark before the first drop of rain fell? Seven days. Seven days. Like the seven-year tribulation period. They are safe in the ark. And then the rain came and boy did it come. It says, And the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I've seen you are righteous before me, and you shall take seven of each uh, kinds of animals. And then verse 4 says, For after seven more days I will cause it it to rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm just going to read this one word. With this one verse, verse 9. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. That's exactly what happened to Noah before the destruction came. It's exactly what happened to Lot before the destruction came. And it's exactly what I believe will happen to the church before the seven-year tribulation period comes. Jesus says, and I'm I'm just going to wrap this up, and I'm going to just point out three main things that we need to just take home with us today, okay? And they asked Jesus, this is Luke 21, 7. He says, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And he replied, watch out that you are not deceived. I want to tell you, I believe that there are many Christians that are in the world today that are deceived. That they have, they think that they can, you know, as long as they got Jesus, I got, I got my, got my get out of hell free card right here. I got Jesus, so I can, you know, I can, I can do, I can live my life how I want to live my life. I can sin. All I have to do is just say, ask forgiveness. I just say, God forgive me, and just go out and sin again tomorrow. So watch that you're not deceived. The next uh, th- th- uh, verse that I want to read is from Matthew chapter the same twenty four, verse forty four. He says, therefore be ready. For the Son of Man is coming that you do not expect. So it says says there are three things that he says. He says, says, uh, don't be deceived, watch, and be ready. And just in closing, I'm closing the service because we still have communion. It says, uh, and he's using the parable of the the ten virgins. And this is just right over. He tells this whole story, and then he flips over, and he says, now I'm going to give you some examples of what I just told you. At midnight the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish one said to the wise, "Give us some of your oil." What's oil representing in the scripture? Holy Spirit. Okay. And they said no. Uh, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, you go to those that uh, sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, while they were busy in the world, while they were buying and they were selling, while they were preoccupied with other things, they never thought about bringing enough oil, never thought about the return of Jesus Christ, just living their lives like they wanted to live their lives. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins were ready went in, the virgins that were ready, went in with him into the wedding banquet. And the door, just like the door on the ark, God, it says, if you read in Genesis, God closed the door. God himself closed the door. And it says right here that while they went into the wedding banquet, the door was closed. And Jesus said, I am the door, and if any man comes in and out by me, he will find life. There's only one door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. And later the others, the other five virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. And then he says, be ready. Keep watch and be ready. It says, let, uh, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, his bride, that would be speaking of us, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. That simply means being obedient to God and to his word. And I must have skipped one. Oh, I did, the first one, the very first one. Now, I don't know if you can go back. But it says, he says, don't be deceived. And that's, that's my fear today, that many Christians have been deceived by false teachers and false preachers. And, you know, he says, I'm afraid. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion. Christ I guess I, I just want to tell you that you know I, I know that we all listen to I, including myself I, I listen to stuff all the time on the radio or TV and I'm constantly hearing things that contradict the Word of God and I you know I mean I feel like I'm a seasoned Christian I don't know everything I'll be the first to admit that but I do know a lot and uh, by the way last week I You know, when I got home, I always analyzing the services, but I think I said it was Napoleon that had made all the achievements. You know, by the time that he was thirty some odd years old, I was wrong. It was Alexander the Great. Uh, Thank you for correcting me on that, though. Uh, (laughs) No, it was actually the Holy Spirit. But uh, anyway, uh, so guys, I just uh, he says, don't be deceived. He wants us to watch. And he wants us to be ready. Those are the three points that I want you to take out of here today. Don't be deceived. You know, that sometimes I'll hear something that somebody says, and I'll think, man, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. That's just, you know, you just made that up. Or, you know, you're listening to a false teacher. But there are so many groups out there today that are trying to get, you know, susceptible, you know, weak Christians to follow them that really don't know the Word of God, and they will lead you astray and away from God. And God's saying, "Man, I I want you know, you know, when David started picking men, he didn't go pick the he didn't pick when he was looking for mighty men. He wasn't looking for the weakest men or the frailest men. He was looking for, I mean, mighty, godly men." And I believe that's what God wants every one of you to be. He doesn't want you to be, you know, of those that are led astray. He wants you to be strong and bold in your faith, so that when somebody says something, you know, I think this is my opinion. This is what I believe. You know, back it up with the Word of God. If it's not in the Word of God, I don't want to hear it. I don't believe it. You know, I don't. don't, I'm not interested. I love you, but I'm not interested in your opinion about how I can get to heaven. Okay, I know how to get there. And I know that there's only one way to get there, and I know that obedience is part of that. You know, James says, "You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, by the things that I do." It's not like we're working our way into heaven, but work just comes out of a natural—it's um, a, a, a natural response of, to salvation. It's like I want to please my Lord. I want to do the things that He's asking me to do. And I know that you've got a heart like that, too. I didn't always have a heart like that. I had a heart like, you know, how much sin can I get away with, you know, and still get to heaven? I I wanted to be, you know, bad enough to have fun, but good enough to get to heaven. And I think that's the way that many Christians are today. I still want to be bad enough to have fun in this world, but I want to make sure that I'm I'm still going to heaven. And, And that's called that gray area. And I don't want to be in the gray area, and I want to be apart from the gray area. I want to be right in the middle of where God wants me to be. Right in the middle of His will. Stand up with me, please. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you, and uh, I know this was—that's a lot to absorb. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, gives you a a heart and a mind to retain some of the things that we've spoken about this morning from. Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Father, I just pray that that your Holy Spirit would just just seal the word, that you would cover it, not let the birds of the air steal the word, Father, but you would begin to water it even right now. And just say in your heart and your mind, Lord, this, this uh, this was a lot, but I pray that you would water the word and protect the word and seal the word within me and let your Holy Spirit bring it back to my remembrance in days.